The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Monday, the 26th of June in London. Coming up today... Putin under pressure. Questions grow over the Russian leader's grip on power as an almost coup is averted. They have my full support. Sunak backs the Bank of England's decision to raise rates as Labour's poll lead grows. Less than stimulating Beijing's modest economic support leaves investors disheartened. Plus, dialing a new area code. Reports suggest HSBC will move its London headquarters from Canary Wharf to BT's former office in the city. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. After a weekend that threatened to destabilise Russia, the location of the mercenary leader who ordered a mutiny against Vladimir Putin is unclear. The Russian president defused the biggest threat to his grip on power in almost a quarter of a century after an 11th hour deal with the Wagner Group chief Yevgeny Prigozhin. Under the deal, it was agreed that Prigozhin would leave the country for Belarus, but he hasn't commented since. Britain's former national security adviser, Lord Ricketts, says the mercenary commander presents a complex challenge for the Kremlin. That's, I think, why they've been careful in the way they've handled Prigozhin, rather than just you know, trying to attack him and... and uh, eliminate him where he was in Russian territory. They must be concerned about creating a martyr uh, who has been able to appeal to the rank and file. Those comments from Lord Ricketts come as US and European officials have told Bloomberg that the murky deal to allow Prigozhin and his men to leave without consequences is unlikely to mark the end of tensions. Both Putin and Russia will likely come out of the crisis weaker, according to one confidential European intelligence assessment. And that's the view backed by the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, who says that the events are deeply embarrassing for Moscow. We've also seen rise to the surface profound questions about the very premises for this Russian aggression against Ukraine that Prigozhin surfaced very publicly, as well as a direct challenge to to Putin's authority. So I think we've seen more cracks emerge in the, the Russian facade. Blinken's assessment is also supported by Bloomberg's own reporting. According to people familiar with the situation, tensions within the Russian elite over the Ukraine invasion have been on the rise for months. Over the weekend, Kyiv said that its troops pressed forward around Bakhmut, where Wagner's forces had fought for months, as well as further south. In other news this morning, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak says he fully supports the Bank of England and the action that it's taking to fight inflation. Sunak's comments come after some of his own ministers criticised the governor of the bank, Andrew Bailey, saying he was slow to recognise that inflation wasn't transitory. Here's what he told the BBC's Laura Koonsberg. 
I think the Bank of England's track record, including the governor's track record, over a long period of time has been that inflation has been managed appropriately and people should have the confidence that inflation will fall back to target as it is... Not uh, all of your colleagues think he's done a good job. So, look, I, I can tell you as Prime Minister, the Bank of England is doing the right thing. The Bank of England has my total support. Sunak also signals that he may take the unusual step of rejecting public sector pay rise recommendations made by independent pay review bodies. The potential measure suggests a new twin-pronged assault on the UK's stubborn inflation problem, with the government prepared to take action alongside the Bank of England. Losses in Chinese assets are mounting again as the government's modest stimulus has disheartened investors. The Hang Seng fell 6% last week, the worst drop since March. That is despite Beijing implementing a series of interest rate cuts and extended tax breaks to boost the economy. Data out over the weekend showed China's consumer-driven recovery continues to lose momentum with spending slowing on everything from holiday travel to cars and homes. Central bank chiefs from all over the world are gathering in Portugal this week. Markets and economists are debating how far interest rates need to rise to tame inflation and if economies can avoid recession. Bloomberg's economics and ECB reporter Jana Randau says the annual gathering comes at an unprecedented time for monetary policy. They're all looking at inflation rates that are too high. They're all looking at a labour market that uh, is surprisingly strong. We are at a at a real at, really at a turning point in monetary policy. So it's going to be very very interesting to have all these uh, all these um, you know central bankers on one podium. Bloomberg's Jana Rando there, who is covering the gathering in Sintra in Portugal. Uh, she will be in the audience when Christine Lagarde, uh, Andrew Bailey, Jay Powell and Kazuo Ueda all speak on a panel tomorrow. HSBC is leaving Canary Wharf after two decades. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts has more. It's an iconic part of London's skyline, but in an era of hybrid working and rising costs, HSBC is reportedly planning to leave its Canary Wharf Tower when the lease comes up in 2027. The Times says the bank's employees will be told later today that they're downsizing to an office in St Paul's, formerly the HQ of BT Group. The move comes as HSBC looks to cut office space around the world by 40%. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. And those are a few of today's top stories. Right, it's been an absolutely extraordinary couple of days over the weekend. Uh, turmoil in Russia, uh, all really reported via these voice notes on Telegram. Um, global investors, though, seem calm, but mainly because it seems absolutely impossible to trade a mutiny, even an aborted one. Yeah, that's right. I mean, look, we're looking at a relatively calm picture from oil to gold to stocks to currencies uh, this morning, almost it appears unreflecting of what happened over the weekend in Russia. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does, of course, have the potential, huge potential to spur investors to sell riskier assets. It's, we're talking about the sustainability of the Russian regime, or at least the most significant challenge uh, to Putin's regime in decades. So what does it mean then for Russian gas, for aluminium production, for wheat exporting? Of course, there are heavy sanctions against Russia. So perhaps that dampens things down. And yet, you know, the markets are uh, are thinking, if not reacting yet. Yeah, indeed. And there's still some risk sentiment out there in markets this morning uh, that we're watching as well. But let's dig into some of the dramatic events that we've seen in Russia over the weekend. An insurrection aborted, a deal brokered to apparently absolve its leader of all charges and a Russian president left weakened. Our EMEA News Director, Rosalind Matheson, is with us this morning uh, for the latest. Good morning to you, Rosalind. So, since Saturday, there's been very little that we've heard from the protagonists of these events. What is the state of play this Monday morning? 
Well, that's right. At the moment, it's still radio silence from both Prigozhin, the Wagner mercenary group leader, and Vladimir Putin himself. Although some of his officials have been out and about, it seems like his defence minister, who's a key player in all of this, seems to have visited Russian troops uh, inside Ukraine, perhaps a public show of something there. But in terms of the two key men themselves, there's been absolutely nothing uh, for the past 24 hours after this deal was apparently brokered and Prigozhin pulled his forces back. So there's a lot of what-ifs, as you were saying, that we still don't know. Is he going to move to Belarus as part of this deal? Will he take all his forces there and take them out of Ukraine? Is Vladimir Putin able to put this behind him? It seems to be the mood in Russia is like, let's just sort of pretend this never happened to some extent. It's not really being covered in state media. Uh, the sense is this was a moment and let's move on. At least that sort of seems to be what the Kremlin is trying to project across Russia so far today. Is It's almost impossible to understand this, but how weakened do we think Vladimir Putin is? Well, Vladimir Putin is a survivor. That man's been in power for several decades and he's been through bouts of turmoil before, of course, also economic unrest, political unrest. He's managed to really denude the political opposition inside Russia um, over the past few years. But that said, this has to be the most overt challenge to his authority since he came to power some decades ago. To have sort of the, the visuals of, of sort of military people, Russian military people, marching towards Moscow, making demands on him is really something unprecedented. And it has to show that there are cracks in his armour. There's always been a perception that he has absolute authority uh, and control. And this really is an example that he doesn't. And so the question is, what happens with that fissure? Do you get more challenges come up in the run-up to the 2024 election? Do elites start to throw their weight behind others in the establishment? They say Putin's time is done. These are really kind of things we just don't know at this point. But what we can say is this is a serious moment for Vladimir Putin. What have we been hearing from Putin's international allies and in all of this? Well, it's a funny collection of countries that are coming out. You've got North Korea saying, well, this is, we support Vladimir Putin. Iran saying, we support Vladimir Putin. But also countries like Turkey and China particularly saying, you know, this is an internal affair for Russia. Um, and we support efforts, as they say, to restore national security inside Russia. You saw those comments particularly from China yesterday. And, and that's a big one because, of course, China is really on the global stage, probably the biggest friend for want a better word, that Russia has, and certainly a key supporter. And to be making those public statements, um, China is sending a message there. Behind the scenes, who knows? It's hard to imagine that President Xi Jinping is impressed with what's been going on. Um, he really needs a stronger Russia because he's trying to put on a united front against countries like the US. So this can't be good for China either, but at least now publicly statements of support. Uh, what do we think it means then for what's happening in Ukraine, the war? The Wagner Group has been absolutely central to Russia's offensive there. Can the Wagner Group carry on doing that there? What happens to all of these um, you know, military militias, effectively, some of them were recruited in Russian prisons, we know. Well, that's right. Of course, they've been one of the more organised parts of the Russian machinery inside Ukraine, um, taking on the brunt of some of the key fighting and certainly seeming to be better resourced and organised than the military itself. The big question, as you say, is what happens now? He already had said, Prigozhin already said that he was no longer going to have his mercenaries fighting in places like Bakhmut. He was like, we're pulling out, we did our work there and now it's up to the Russian military but he does command a large force um, and they have been key in the fighting in Ukraine the question is does he now take them all out 
do those mercenaries move over to the military under that umbrella and fight on behalf of the Russian military officially, or does he take them with him into Belarus or somewhere else? These are really key questions, of course, because Ukraine is in the middle of a counteroffensive uh, at the moment, trying to push Russian forces back out. Does this give them the momentum that they were looking for? What what is the importance of Belarus and all of this as well? I mean, the idea that they would that that's where Prigozhin will will go, and you know, live live in exile is is the 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 only detail we have on that for the moment. Well, Belarus is obviously very interesting because it's an extremely close ally of Russia and its leader, President Lukashenko, is a very old friend of Vladimir Putin and certainly seems to have stepped in here to try and broker this on behalf of Putin. And Belarus has been a staging point for Russian troops also into Ukraine during the war. It is now apparently the location of some Russian nuclear weapons. So certainly very, very close um, leadership there. So the question is, what does it mean for Prigozhin to be operating there? Is he going be taking instructions from the Belarusians. I highly doubt it. Um, again, it's just a question we don't have the answers for right now. Okay, Rosalind Matheson, thank you so much for being with us. Emir's news director joining us in studio. Well, of course, all of this has been happening in Russia as the fighting continues in Ukraine. Let's go live to Kiev now and speak to our senior reporter for international affairs, Mark Champion, uh, who joins us from there. Good morning to you, Mark. How have this weekend's events been viewed in Ukraine? Uh, well, you could say almost with, with glee. Uh, you know, it, obviously, Ukraine's been under pressure from Russia, enormous pressure for the last uh, you know, 16 months and more. Uh, so to see uh, Putin challenged, uh, to see uh, him apparently weakened, all of this is just seen as good news. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was talking to one of uh, uh, President Zelensky's advisors over the weekend, and uh, just he just said, you know, we simply see this as benefiting us uh, no matter what happens. And that was when we still didn't know uh, how whether Prigozhin was going to go all the way to Moscow. Um, uh, whether they're right or not is a different matter. Um, they do say that they're extremely cautious about what is happening on the battlefield, that they are not going to take any um, big decisions about military advances attempting to make any kind of, uh, you know, take advantage of all this. Um, and they say that we're going to be cautious, even if we see the uh, uh, an, an apparent opportunity where troops withdraw. Draw. Uh, we're going to be very, very careful before we try to move ahead in case that's simply a trap, because the, the front is uh, somewhat separate from what's going on uh, back in, in Moscow. And their hope is that over time, this will impact the front, that it will uh, create problems for Russian morale, uh, for command and control, etc. But in the immediate term, um, you know, they, they don't expect any immediate impact. OK, that's interesting. The Wagner Group has also been extremely important in this war, hasn't it? It was uh, in a very restricted theatre. So you have a, 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 a front that is more than a th about a thousand kilometres long. Um, and there's one area around Bakhmut uh, in uh, the Donbass region, the eastern part of Ukraine, uh, where Wagner um, pushed all through the winter. Um, and they were uh, successful in a sense in, in, in that they managed to take the city um, at uh, considerable losses on both sides. Um, so they, they have been the most effective troops uh, that the Russians have. Um, and, but whether or not they they have been able to uh, you know to really impact the war as a whole, 
Um, they don't appear to be playing much of a role in, in pushing back the counteroffensive, for example, which is further south. Uh, so it's quite complex. They would be a loss. Uh, they are some thousands. We don't know exactly how many troops they have, but many estimates are around 25 uh, to 40,000 at different times. Um, and some of those troops are uh, very professional mercenaries. Others are uh, recruits. Uh, even they were convicts. So it's, it's a mixed bag, really. Um, but any loss uh, you know, of, their, of that capacity would be a loss for Russia. We still don't know. The Russians have said that you know, they're going to bring some of the Wagner troops into uh, the, the ranks of the armed forces. Uh, so they may reappear, uh, but more spread through uh, different units of the armed forces. Mark, is this a turning point in, in the war in Ukraine? You know, uh, we really don't know. Um, it could be. Uh, so it could be in the sense that the Ukrainians hope, uh, which is that uh, Putin becomes weaker and he has to focus at home and he simply doesn't have the resources to continue and he looks for ways out. Um, the other possibility, though, is that, you know, as, as a weakened uh, uh, authoritarian leader, um, he feels the need to double down to, and, uh, you know, Prigozhin, after all, represented a, a hawkish uh, vein of opinion in Russia. Mm. Um, he became quite popular amongst uh, ultra-nationalists, people who wanted to pursue the war uh, yes. in a more committed way. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much for being with us. That is Bloomberg's senior reporter for international affairs, Mark Champion. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.